Welcome to a special live episode of the Board of Education, where troublemakers and system breakers gather to discuss how they're dismantling inequities in public education. Calling our meeting to order the chairman and quarterback of the Board of Ed, Jonathan Santos Silva. What's up? Yeah, this is the only place where I play quarterback. You, you, this shoulder right here, 38 years old and banged up and bruised. I ain't throwing nothing. Maybe dirty diapers into the trash. That is it. I, I might be able to be like defensive line still. Yeah, you might be able to do that, yeah, but I, 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 that, I ain't doing nothing. I got the girth. Uh, so, but, but that's about all. That's about all. Hey, 40, man. 44 hey, man. is not doing well. Hey, we, we're going to hang on to the glory years. How are you feeling tonight? I'm excited. A, a special live episode. Never done this before. Uh, and not only do we have three amazing new board members uh, that we're going to bring in, but this is our this is our big game special. Right. Uh, Jonathan and I were talking the other day about some some current events that are going on. And Jonathan, as usual, was brilliant and was like, you know what? There's an analogy here. There, there's something going on in the real world that reflects what's happening in, in the classrooms across the country. And I, I'm, I'm in it. Like this is, I'm so excited about this conversation. Yeah. Well, I mean, I don't know about brilliant. It's a mixture of um, drinking energy drinks too late and not having your team or your quarterback in the big game. Um, the other <laughs> night I got out of um, jujitsu and uh, I, gra- I thought I was grabbing a recovery drink and I pulled out a vending machine and I'm pounding that bad boy and realized it is, you know, be this and be that creatine and a whole lot of caffeine. And so I'm like, Oh, this is going to be interesting. And uh, so I started going down I got home, showered, laid down and you know, my eye had eyeballs the size of uh, 50 cent pieces. And um, I just started going down a rabbit hole uh, because I read the Brian Flores piece. So this is, you know, mm. the other night or whatever, a week ago. And for those who are not into the big game, the NFL don't know who I'm talking about. Brian Flores is the immediate past head coach of the Miami Dolphins. And the, that night they, he had dropped uh, or, or his, um, or that day, his lawyers had um, issued a lawsuit against the NFL and three franchises alleging um, discrimination in hiring practices um, among other things. Um, one of the, the allegations is that, uh, or one, uh, a piece of data that they used was that even when black coaches are successful, they are, I think, two and a half times more likely to be fired than their white counterparts. And this in a league where 70% or more of the players are black. And uh, up until this, uh, up until the last few hires in this hiring cycle, we had one black coach still active, which was Mike Tomlin. Some of that's been addressed, but one black coach. And so, you know, I'm looking at it and I'm saying, we have a, uh, an industry, a billion, billion dollar industry where the majority of the frontline performers are people of color and uh, the, but the majority of the people who oversee their work is white. And that could be the NFL. It also could be education. Absolutely. Where right. Greater than 50% of the kids are kids of color. And we got one, you know, less than 2% of the teachers are black men. You know, when, when you, when you uh, texted me first, I was like, wait a minute, this, this can't be right. Right. So doing the research and we find out that, you know, at least 13% of the population in our, in, in our schools are students of color, but 7% of all teachers are black. Only 2%, actually less than 2% are male teachers of color. Yeah. 13%, right. just, a, yeah, 13% of the students are black. We know that greater than 50% is, 
when we bring yeah. all of kids of color. But yes, thirteen percent yes. are black kids, seven percent are black teachers, and less than two percent are black men. And that number is is astronomically higher when we talk about public education, particularly. And then when I was like, I was like, wait a minute, is, is Jonathan really right? You know, seventy percent, seventy percent of NFL players uh, are are black males. Obviously, not not a lot of females on the football team. That's a different topic for a different podcast. Uh, but what was interesting is, you know, there's only one white or there's only one black coach. 83% of the fan base of the NFL is white men. Mm. And so who, who, who is really benefiting and who is this serving the, these questions, Jonathan, that, that you, you talked to me first about, I just like, we got, we got to get some smart people talking about this. Um, and, and I think, uh, your amazing network you you have found three really great smart people to help us make sense of this so why don't you tell us uh, about our new board members who are getting ready to hop on yeah man we got some dope brothers in the house like i told them before we came on air um this is the first episode that we recorded where i'm wearing my new apple watch strap with the black panther you know i got the wakanda on there so i got some brothers we in wakanda this evening and we got um you know i can't start with anybody better then, you know, Keith Brooks, Randy Saraguchi, and Dennis Maurice Dumpson, when we're talking about issues like this, these are three brothers that have dedicated their lives, their careers to um, ensuring that education begins to work for black, young black men, young black men like we once were. Um, so we're really excited to, to I want to invite Keith into the conversation, into the barbershop, if you will. You know, I wish maybe we can do this, you know, add some, um, you know, some uh, uh, clipper sounds in the background, but I'm really excited to um, invite Keith into the chair <laughs> because Keith is uh, the founder of the National Fellowship for Black and Latino Male Educators. If you haven't heard about it, you're going to hear a lot about it soon and in the years to come. Um, I'll let Keith uh, get, give us a, the rundown, but in short, um, it is an organization that is trying to dramatically reimagine our uh, our education workforce so that it begins to look more and more like the kids we're serving. What's up, Keith? Oh, you? What's up, Jonathan? What's up, Doc? What's up, everybody? <clears throat> hello, hello, Keith. And by the um, way, dangers of a live episode. People are going to be on mute. It's going to happen. What, 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 what are you crazy. doing? <laughs> I, I try to do it. I try to go on mute once, uh, once uh, you know, when I'm doing something just so I can make sure people are paying attention. <laughs> I love it. I love it. Also, want to bring in uh, my boy Randy, uh, Randy Saraguchi, Randy Saraguchi, Executive Director of Urban Ed Academy. Um, I'm excited because Randy's going to be on um, later this season in a in a deep dive on the work that Urban Ed does up in the um, the Bay Area. Uh, but because of this issue, because it's so topical, so important, we decided to pull him back in. What's up, Randy? He ain't even at home. But he made sure he was available to get on this with us. Neither is Keith, by the way. All my brothers are international. Mm -hmm. Where are you at today? Where are you at in the world today, Randy? Uh, peace, Jonathan. Peace, Doc. Peace, brothers. Um, I'm in D.C. right now. Old stomping ground for a little bit. Uh, but, man, this is a timely enough topic. I had to take a pause and get involved, man. Thank you, brother. Thank you. And um, Dennis Maurice Dumpson, the founder of Invest BLK. That do consulting um, in the education and nonprofit spaces around the, the uh, issues of diversity, equity, inclusion, justice. But also, uh, really big up and coming in the Black philanthropic space, making sure that Black dollars are being reinvested um, in Black entrepreneurs and Black venture leaders, so that we can create a healthy ecosystem. Dennis, so glad to have you on, brother. 
I appreciate you. Good to be here. Peace out, peace uh, Jonathan too, and all mm. of you. Um, so y'all know that this subject matter, um, as I was just saying, um, coach Flores, who actually, <clears throat> for those of y'all that don't know, again, he was a uh, head coach of Miami for three seasons and the last two seasons he had a winning record and he was fired. Uh, and so that's what kind of prompted this, um, his lawsuit. And so I was thinking about that as well, all the different challenges that, um, men of color face in the education space, a space that is, you know, we just talked about it greater than 50% of the students are kids of color, but four in five teachers are white women. So it's not a space that is necessarily designed for black men. Keith, I want to invite you into the space first, because when I mentioned this to you, you jumped right on it. You said, this is a metaphor that you've used in talking to young brothers about uh, the need for the NFBLME, the National Fellowship for Black and Latino Male Educators. So I just want to give you the floor, um, get, in the, get in the barber chair, kind of lay it out for us. Yeah, man, um, this is this is a parallel to, you know, what we what we do in our work. Specifically, I was meeting with our guys recently. So we set our guys up with mentors, C-level mentors. Um, and uh, we want we want them to have, you know, sort of a role model. And I use I start off the conversation using this analogy. It's exactly what you said, Doc. Seventy percent of the players are um, are African-American, but the league offices, head coaches and CEOs. And I was like, man, this is fascinating to me. Um, and then, you know, Andy Rooney came out and he created the Andy Rooney rule. Um, and what's fascinating to me is that, uh, you know, once the running rule was implemented to now, it's like, yeah, uh, you can look at the, you can look at the data and, and on one hand you say it's not working. Um, but then there's something underneath it when you dig a little bit deeper. Um, and so uh, Denny Green was, I think, either the fourth black, black head coach in the NFL or, or third, maybe the fourth. And he hired anybody know who he, who he hired or he cultivated and um, hired anybody know? Um, was, uh, was Tony Dungy on his staff? Dude, did we talk about this? I feel like I gave you the answers to the test. But I think uh, I know that one because I liked the Vikings back in the day. I like. I didn't get voted uh, off Randall. the island. I live in Indianapolis. How did I not get that? Come on, come on, Doc. <laughs> get it. You lose. Together. You get lose. <laughs> so, so Tony Dungy. Um, so Denny Green hired, cultivated Tony Dungy. Tony Dungy became becomes obviously Tony Dungy. Tony Dungy then hires. Um, I won't even go into the to the pop quiz here. He hired Mike Thomason, Lovey Smith, Herman Edwards, Leslie Frazier, Jimmy Caldwell. The, the thing that I talk to our guys about a lot is that, and even our mentors, is that if you want to change the system, you have to change the ecosystem. And so, you know, a lot of this is like, oh, why the NFL? You know, it's the same thing. Why are we looking to the system to fix itself? Like, stop it. You know, we have to depend on ourselves to 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 um, to change in the system. And so I'm 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 equally bothered when, you know, it's in it, for whatever reason, when I look at some of the, you, you know, black head coaches and I'm like, who have you developed? Who have you cultivated? Who are you bringing along? And so it's the idea of like when you get up to the top, you have to drop the rope for other for others to climb up. Um, and that's what our mentorship program is built off of. It's the idea of uh, it's not, it's, you know, it's the Harriet Tubman philosophy of leadership. 
it's not enough to get to the destination. You have to go back and bring others along with you. Um, and so, you know, this topic is, is important. Um, and simultaneously, I, you know, I, I try to not get too much energy uh, to anger and frustration. It, it's doing what it's supposed to do. And we mm. need to stop looking at the, at the system to sort of write itself. Hmm. Keith, you mentioned um, that if we want to change the system, we have to change the ecosystem. And that makes me think of our brother, Randy, because, um, you know, in my time in education, I have heard countless districts and organizations talk about bringing more uh, brothers and black men in particular into the profession, but few that do it in quite the same way that y'all do it at Urban Ed Academy, uh, where I do think you're looking at a, you're looking at it like systems thinking. Can you tell us a little bit about how, you know, how Urban Ed seeks to recruit and retain black educators, Randy, and what makes it different from some of those traditional approaches? Um, yeah, absolutely. Uh, I mean, thank you again. You know, and I, I think I'm, I'm, I'm also fascinated by this topic and you know, was taking notes here as, as Brother Keith was talking. Um, but to give just a quick, just a quick summary um, of what we do, just just for context, um, Urban Ed Academy is, is based in San Francisco, California. It's probably not the first city you think about when you think about a revolution for black male educators. Uh, but, you know, to the point that, you know, we can't look at the system, you got to change the ecosystem. Our proof point for us in making this a radical success is that if it can happen in one of the most cost prohibitive places in the world, then nobody else has an excuse for this not to happen. And so the, the, the particular attack is a three-pronged attack, uh, three-pronged approach of the work. We have to have this educational community that's developed you got to be able to welcome brothers in no matter what that looks like so that's both you know partnerships and school district uh, 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 relationships placements at schools you have that um, because the pipeline right now it well excuse me the existing workforce is less than two percent black men you got to believe that the pipeline is probably just as thin um, when we're talking about making this an urgent thing we're doing, we have to in-migrate talent. We can't rely on the same paltry pipeline to get more people in. That's just, we're gonna be making ourselves crazy. So we provide zero to credential supports for a very specific subset of brothers. We go to HBCUs and we specifically go to seniors that are non-education majors. Because if you are in an ed school, you're on, the, you're on track. You know, I would love to support you in other ways, but the fact is, is that you are doing what it is we were hoping to convince you to do. But to then to make it possible, we have to create proximity to our schools in the community. And the most baseline way of doing that is by providing housing. And, you know, there's an affordable housing crisis across the country, but, you know, maybe I'm biased now being there, we think is most pronounced in the Bay Area, specifically in San Francisco, just given what's happening there. So we've had a number of approaches to making the housing part work, but we do those three things as part of creating the environment, creating the ecosystem so that one, brothers feel welcome. And then two, they feel like they actually got a viable shot at sticking around. Um, you know, anybody can make it through a year of a job, but you know, is this gonna become something that I do for my career, something I do to actually try to impact other families? That's, that's kind of where we're at. And so when 
when we talk about this ecosystem versus system approach, um, one of the first, the first thing I mentioned was that we need school district partnerships and we need to make sure that school sites in particular are on board because principals are the first ones making those decisions. And it's kind of what Brian Flores was talking about was that, and, and some, some of the other analysts I saw on ESPN were talking about, you know, we can, we can talk all day long about what's right and what's wrong, but we have to look at the decision makers, whether or not it's a viable, you know, relevant thing. It is at the end of the day, the one making the decision on who gets hired for millions of dollars is the owner of that team. And 31 out of 32 owners are white men. One of one team is owned publicly, but you know, I'm gonna go out on a, on a limb and say Wisconsin's got a, a lot of white owners up there. <laughs> so let's just for all intents and purposes, let's say for a league that 70% players are black, all of the owners are white. And so when you hear uh, comparisons to plantation mentality, et cetera, I mean, you know, maybe this hyperbole for most people, but it's not a stretch to make the argument. And I, th I think that's where Brian Flores and his team is going is to show that, all right, maybe this, maybe this will not hold up in court after we get to trial, but we're going to goddamn it get to trial because there are a ton of facts to unearth on this thing. And so, you know, kind of comparing it to what we do here and, you know, that's not to castigate any principal or any district leader that we work with because I think San Francisco and the Bay Area is one of the most progressive places in the country. And you have people giving excellent lip service, excellent spirit and heart and intent. But what we've seen is that there hasn't been a match of that with what the budget <laughs> <laughs> where we're actually allocating resources so i think first and foremost I'll, I'll pause there but i'll say that part of our work is to try to make sure that rubber hits the road and that you you put all the great intentions out there but it actually matches some line items behind it mm. i want to pause there can i add I, can i oh, yeah. say something off that yes sir yes sir so so randy so in my heart and and dennis maybe you can chime in because you 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 are Shoot, you are also uh, taking the systems level approach. In my heart, I know if you want to change the system, you need to change the ecosystem. As much as I want to say, hey, let's grow our own, to some degree, I know that's dependent upon the decision makers and the people with the dollars. And in NFL, that's the owners. And Randy, to your point, it's the, the board, the su superintendents, like all those folks. And so my my heart is bought in, but my head is like, man, we, we can't, as much as I believe that we can't really change the system until we get folks to change their mindsets and then action. Mm. So I feel stuck a little bit is, is, is sometimes. Yeah. Yeah. No, let, let's, let's marinate on that. And while we're marinating, I wanted it because the conversation is getting good. It, that's what I knew was going to happen. And I want to make sure that if folks want to get involved in the conversation on social media, they know where to find us. Doc, can you give us the social media rundown? And we're going to come back to that question. Yeah, yeah. Uh, if you uh, if you're listening to us online, you want to be part of the conversation, join us uh, on Twitter and Instagram at the underscore board of ed. That's B-O-R-E-D at the underscore B-O-R-E-D of ed. Uh, we're also on Facebook to so join us there. Uh, if you want uh, to if you're if you're hooked on the board of ed through this episode, uh, you can listen to all our episodes and look at all of our blog posts at theboardofed.com. That's the b o r e d of ed 
Facebook.com. Uh, so let's keep the conversation going and let's hear from Dennis. <laughs> Dennis, you, you, I think it's your turn in the chair. <laughs> yeah. You can you get your fresh lineup, Dennis. What's up, man? <laughs> yeah, um, you know, it, it's interesting because as I'm listening to this, I think about like all the instances of acculturation and like how a lot of this debunks meritocracy to a, to a great extent. I think that that's a real important part of it because really what Brian Flores is bringing up is, is that, you know, even with his Keith brought in the Rooney rule, it really honestly doesn't matter because people who are less, you know, you know, have less accolades, whose merit is not as, you know, it is maybe underwhelming in comparison or whatever, it really doesn't matter. So I think that that, that brings a new conversation into it too. That is a parallel to education that we talk a lot about there not being a lot of black educators or a lot of black male educators inside of schools, but what happens to black male educators inside of these environments is I think another part of it too. And you just can't be a good teacher. You know what I mean? Oftentimes you're asked to do things uh, that are um, incredibly like anti-black to a great extent. You know what I mean? Whether that is acting as like security as long as, you know, as well as being a teacher or or being something more than just a, a classroom uh, or being like classroom support to other teachers and particularly white women, things of that nature or whatever. So there's a culture that I think is being established. I also think about it in the sense of if all the coaches are white, 70% of the players are black, where does the indebtedness to, to people that become millionaires off of a craft, where does the indebtedness become, like where does it lean toward? It leans toward you, know, you being cultivated by white coaches in a white system with white owners, you know what I mean? And then you become indebted to to that as a system, regardless of how how you've how you've come to be in your profession as a, as an athlete or as a student, you know what I mean. So it's just it's a lot of interesting things. Like my my brain is um, is struggling with as I think about it. What strikes me, you know, because you brought up uh, meritocracy, um, you know, like that the idea that the best will rise, right? Which also which which at least in theory is the ultimate domain of sports, right? Whoever's the most talented, whoever's the great, has the greatest gifts will get playing time and the others will not. That's just how it works. Um, but then you look at the, the NFL and you think, well, if that was the case, if it was really about winning, you would think that we would see different choices made. You can see, you see, you know, you could put, the, just throw the E on the episode, Doug. Bum-ass white coaches who get fired and get second chances and third chances. And then promising young coordinators, uh, up and coming position coaches that are black, they all get interviewed because they satisfy the black candidate in the pool, like the Rooney rule, but they don't, you know, no one tries something new, right? If it was really about the winning and it was really about the best succeeding, you would think people would try different things. And so it goes to me, it leads, leads me to think that at the end of the day, let's not fool ourselves. Yes. We would like to think that all owners want a Super Bowl. But the reality is all owners want more money. They're billionaires for a reason. They make money and running like you can run a janky franchise that never is in the hunt and you're still making billions of dollars. And so at the end of the day, you're not necessarily hiring the person that's going to make that you, you think is going to win. You're hiring the person that makes you feel comfortable, the person who looks like you, who goes to the country club with you. And get, let's be clear, billionaires and millions is a different level, but like a billionaire, white, older, white guy who wants to be around jocks probably feels more comfortable with a millionaire older white guy who also likes to be around jocks than he does with um, Brian Flores, you know, with the allegations that he was difficult to work with, right? That was just a way to get him out of the uh, area because he didn't fit the mold anymore. And that happens in education. 
to, to Dennis's point, you want brothers in the building to do discipline, but when the brother speaks up about the things that he needs, he's not a culture fit. That's the lingo in, in, in some of our school. You're not a culture fit. Are you aligned with our values? And we push these brothers out. I don't know. I'm, I've said a lot and didn't have a real question. I just want to be in the barbershop too, y'all. <laughs> <laughs> it actually, ha- I have a question that, that, that all of you have, have mentioned, and it's, it's stemming to this, this idea of changing the ecosystem. Uh, I remember hearing from some really powerful uh, uh, male leaders of color who were talking about their journey to school leadership and how many of them felt ill-prepared to be instructional leaders because they were forced into the behavior, Dean, you're good with kids, they'll behave for you sort of mentality. And they, they, their, their opportunity for growth uh, as like actually like developing their skills as, as instructional leaders, they felt shortchanged. Um, and, and I think my, my question that I'm trying to get to is what are some of the concrete things that, that the predominantly white ecosystem is doing to drive black male teachers out when they do, when, when, when we do get high quality black male instructors in the classroom, but they're also leaving at the same rate as, as everyone else. Any thoughts there? I think if the request is like for them to be technical in some way and not be strategic, that's a big, a big part of it. Like if the, to your point about, you know, X to be disciplinarians over being like actually involved, invested inside of the educational like growth, but also understanding the strategy that goes with that. If you parallel that to like the NFL and, and the conversations there, there has to be something different about what the strategy is to be able to advance. You know what I mean? That is not being taught, that's not being uh, shared and that's not, you know, uh, an open opportunity. Same thing happens in education, where if I'm constantly being put into a dean role, for instance, or I'm, I'm put as a, a school culture officer-like position, and I'm there to present, again, a certain culture to the school, a certain presence, that takes me into the role of being a practitioner, but I no longer get to be a visionary or a strategist. So for me to evolve, it becomes extremely hard for me to be able to think about what a future looks like outside of this, because I'm, I'm stuck into the whole of being you know, what, what I'm needed to be in this particular space. Yeah. And, and building on that, being asked to do these things and then not being paid for it. You know, these brothers are taking on about two, three, four, five jobs in one building. And because they are extraordinary black men, because they are extra talented and because they love the kids, I think that's the biggest thing that, that kind of gets taken advantage of at times is like, well, you love the kids, don't you? Well, the family's really like you, so you should be, Mm-hmm. You find yourself being in the day program and then being after school and then sometimes doing the Saturday thing and maybe coaching and then also doing some house visits. And when you, again, kind of back to the budget, you strip that out. Those are four jobs. And yes, it doesn't make sense, maybe practically to pay somebody $220,000, $250,000 once you aggregate all of the salaries. It doesn't look right, right? Because it's not because it doesn't make sense to ask one person to do that. But practically speaking, that's what happens. And mm-hmm. so oftentimes you hear people kind of, you, 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 right, you, we see and we experience people making that kind of quiet ask. And I mean, maybe in some academic circles, that's a form of a microaggression in some way, like, well, I can't do it. So, 
you you can do it because you know they're close to you um and it's, it happens so quick and so frequent that those paper cuts lead up to death by a thousand paper cuts and you're like you know what i can spend half the time i'm spending here making twice as much doing the same thing for a tech company which by the way they do the same thing mm. they can I, can, do a job but mm. they make you run the erg for free can i add something just to what you're saying too i think that that's is a really important point too, because asking to be able to do all this work is one thing, but I think it's a play on like scarcity and heritage. And that's like one of the things that I find to be most egregious because when you think about this, there's the idea of scarcity. What if, if there's not a lot of me here? You know what I mean? So if I'm not here, who is here? So if, whether that is because I'm here for the, for the kids or I wanna be able to be a presence inside this room or I wanna be what I didn't see, that, that heritage becomes what you play off of to get people, whether it's black men, black women, black folks in general, to be able to give more of themselves inside of environments because it feels like there has to be, um, I have to give more to be able to do that. And that's that's manipulative, you know what I mean? So I think that that, that is again, a part of the culture though of you not being needed for like anything like long-term, like these people, even though they're, they're grassroots, the same way we see activists, like you'll see activists, abolitionists or whatever at the ground, never called to a Biden table, never called to a to a leadership table in some way, because you're there to do that thing over there. You're not here to think about big picture things. And I think that that's oftentimes what happens, too. And even the reason why Brian Flores, the case seems so offensive is because he is essentially like bucking that system and saying, no, I have a deeper vision. If you even looked at the case like I was a nerd about it and kind of looked at what he did. He gave like a plan for what you could do to really to, to, to adapt this in a different way. That is already showing you that I have thoughts. I have vision that's never been accounted for, even at a coach level, mm. even as a team leader, even in this management level, whatever, never being, a, never being able to add that is that's egregious, but it's also showing you how you're thought of inside these environments. And I think it happens in education, but I think it's a consistent narrative and a consistent action that happens across the board too. That's unfortunate. Mm. Um, uh, brother Dennis you didn't drop some words I'm like man you need to email me some more literature about the scarcity heritage you said indebtedness earlier I'm like yo you dropping gems up in here um, uh, you, when I was a when I one of my earlier jobs on my way to becoming a principal founded a school in New York Brooklyn um, when I first got to the position, they were going to give me the title of Dean of Students and I refused it. Um, I refused it because I was like, I don't know about which, what, what's happening here, but I know all the principles. Well, in my interview process, you value X, you value academics and instruction. Uh, you didn't value whatever position you were about to make, make me. And I refused it and told them that I want to be called something else. Um, and that always got me thinking. So when I'm, I, I played football uh, through all the way through college. And so when I look at defensive coordinators, those are like, in my mind, the deans of students. Uh, and then if you look at the, uh, the academic deans, those are like the, the offensive coordinators who is mm -hmm. the ones getting promoted are the offensive coordinators. But I, I started to think that so as deans and when I was a principal, it's like, okay, let me let me make sure you have this instruction to think or you go change your title. And I was like, well, no, the system itself is broken. So how about this? How about actually re rethink this and say the people who are most successful in the principal, they have to have um, they have to be culture leaders. And so until we change your mindset, um, 
I think is, you know, is one of the things I was like, actually, we just need to value the position um, equally versus trying to get people to now become something else. Because our superpowers are, as our ancestry is around community, around, you know, um, building, building, yeah, around community. And I think that I would hate for us to think that something's wrong with us and something's wrong with that part of us. And now we have to go do something else. Mm. So I'm glad you brought the, that up, um, Keith. The 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 um, met, it, furthering the metaphor, right? That a, the, the defensive coordinator is more akin to dean of culture, offensive coordinator, uh, dean of academics, um, and that and that trajectory again to go, go real down into the NFL. The offensive coordinator typically, or, or oftentimes, has been a quarterback coach, right? And you'll see uh, white. D2 quarterback, get a quarterback coaching job before you see an NFL, a black NFLer get that opportunity. And that goes back even another layer. We think not too long ago, black quarterbacks, right now it's 25% of the league is, has a, is a black quarterback right? or 25% of quarterbacks are black uh, or men of color. But um, when we were children, well, that's why I said earlier, I like the Vikings, Randall Cunningham. I was like, oh, they got a black quarterback. Like that stood out to me. Right. So we're talking about um, generations of players like Warren Moon having to go to Canada to be a quarterback because we refused to be a wide receiver and how that took so much talent out of that um, that that uh, what did that pipeline or that pathway. Right. Because a quarterback should be able to be a quarterback coach, which could then be a coordinator, which could then be a head coach. It's the same thing when we are subjecting black children and children of color to what we, we, we know to be objectively not the same quality of opportunity that we give white students. And then we wonder why when we are already sorting kids out K-12, we're sorting them out at the college level, we're sorting them out at every level. And then we get to the end and we go, I really wish we had more black men in our school. I really do. We want to end, we're getting, but we're at the end waiting for some black men to emerge from the end of the hallway, not going down back to the front of the hallway and wondering where all the little black boys are that we're, we're, um, suspending expelling and doing all those things through so, so the the for me the metaphor just can it, it in so many ways it shows up at every level of our education system and so i guess the question that i have for y'all is the work that you all do is so important and so vital you know trying to catch brothers now but what are what are what are the things that we need to do if we really want to blow this up and kind of like uh dennis the way you said coach flores had this beautiful vision for what the way he thinks the NFL could do things differently. What could we be doing differently? How ought we to be thinking if we really want to disrupt this system and this pathway um, of getting more black men into the classroom? Jonathan, can I add a layer to that question? Yes, sir. I, yes, sir. I, I want to recognize as the only white male uh, on this group, I'm interested also in what do you need other people to do? Because this is, this is not a system that the men on this call created. Uh, uh, it's not a, a system that black men created uh, or black educators created. This is a this is a, a white created, predominantly white created problem. And so while well, Jonathan, I think that's an amazingly powerful question that I can't wait to get the answer to. I also wanna know like, what responsibility do I as a white male in this profession need to take on that should not be the, 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 the weight that's put on the shoulder, the additional weight, uh, like Randy said, the other, like the 18th job that needs to be put on the back of, 
of the black male educators or the black educators in our system. All I could think of when you said that too, right by the way, Randy, was the old um, in living color skit. You know, I only have 13 jobs, you know. Peace to Jamaica. Jamaica. Yeah. <laughs> That's such a beautiful place. Um, and I guess I, I, I know that the question was kind of geared towards Dennis, so I hope you don't no, mind. Any, all y'all, all y'all yeah, brothers. brothers. Mm-hmm. Um, well, first off, I got to, even though I grew up, I mean, I'm from Jersey. I grew up a New York Yankees and New York Giants fan, I at least got to correct the record on the first reference you gave for Randall Cunningham. He's a Philadelphia Eagle for a long time before he went to the damn Vikings. But <laughs> <laughs> that's okay. That's all right. Here we are. Uh, uh, but kind of on the on the like the pipeline and also Doc the Ally question. Um, I was actually just, I got to bring it up now because I was just here in DC with them, but uh, Dr. Ivory Tolson, shout out to Dr. Tolson. Uh, he's been an expert in the space for a while. Um, he kind of broke down, um, I think the biggest picture piece around what we need to do as a system to get more brothers into education is just to increase college graduation rates for black men. Because when you break down the data, Black men, on average, compared to their white counterparts, are selecting places of service for their profession, helping professions, you know, be it education, social work, within the, like the top 10 of where Black professionals are choosing to work, they're in schools. And so whether they're as teachers or as administrators, they end up in these places where they're serving. And it's, so it's, it's really about, okay, how do we just increase the pool then of those guys that have degrees? But then when you break it down a little bit more around where there are leaks, as some of the you know, policy folk like to call it, in the pipeline, you can't start with like, because like there's this sexy, like, we need to build out the pipeline and like start like introducing this in kindergarten. And it's like, you know, get kindergartners interested in teaching. And it's like, that, that, that is a strategy. It's a strategy. But we can just we can start literally with the guys that are showing interest and how there are egregious rates of black men that don't make it through teacher preparation programs. And when they do graduate from education programs, uh, education uh, colleges out there aren't passing credential tests or aren't passing state requirements. And then you can go on down the line to the college graduation, to the high school graduation folk. And I think, you know, before you get to the let's let's build out the pipeline, I think there's a conversation about how can we get guys that are interested across the finish line? And, um, uh, you know, this kind of goes also to, to what Brian Flores was talking about. And one thing that Dr. Tolson said, which is, you know, for the allies out there, you know, if you, you really want a place to start, go to your district right now and talk to the people that are making hiring decisions. And specifically in those places that are relatively racially diverse, ask them why they're not hiring black candidates, just plainly. And some people don't want to buy that because they're like, well, you know, it's still a pool issue. You know, we're still not getting enough quality candidates. But um, these are his words. And I I just I got to co-sign them. But it's check racism first, because the fact of the matter is you still have people being filtered out of 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 decision making or filter filtered out of high level decisions because their name sounds too black or because they went to an HBCU 
and that doesn't have the same prestige as a state level school that they're familiar with or wasn't their alma mater. You know, the fact, these are all human decisions. And so until we can take the human error out of these decisions and I'm going to I'm coding that human error as as racism in some ways. You know, we have a whole lot of ground we can make up just with where we are before we start getting to the conversations around like some some of the, I think, bigger, bolder conversations around black male specific benefits packages to get them really into the game um, ahead of other groups. But, you know, until we get there, I think we have to figure out how many people are being told no. And to bringing it back to Brian Flores, I would love to see uh, from the NFL, I, I highly doubt they ever released this, but I would love to see the rejection rates strictly for Rooney Rule candidates. Mm. If we're under 20%, we got a, uh, we got a problem, almost Jersey word, curse. We got hey, a problem. I, I, I won't give a number because I, I would butcher it, but they, one of the brothers, one of the commentators was talking about the number of um, searches where there was a single black candidate where like basically you were doing the bare minimum i think it was um uh, uh, is it sam acho he was talking about it so we got what you know y'all have to find that but uh, a, a ridiculous number of these uh searches they only interview one just to so satisfy the, the rule and that's why we got we up until just about the last 48 hours we just had mike tomlin and ron rivera Ron Rivera not being black, but being a man of color. That was it among 32. Yeah, that's a good point I didn't think about, too, is like how many people, when they do have a vacancy, are just doing the minimum to satisfy it and not, you know, going after who's actually out there. Because, you know, to also to the, what the commentators were saying, at any, in any given year, there are like 10, 12 black viable candidates that were either former head coaches or have the chops to be one right now. And again, if they if they do get the shot at the interview, I would love to know how many are being told no. Because I think from what I'm hearing from other folks, what I've read, black, black male teacher candidates are being rejected in similar fashion. Whether they're qualified or not, there's some other human issue that is being a barrier. I, I think that I, I agree with what Randy was saying in the... Uh the lessons that he brought in from Ivory Tolson as well, Dr. Tolson. And I also think there has to be a definitive betrayal of white supremacy in everything. And that like, that takes effort, that takes work, that takes more than just like allyship, that really takes like finding these things to be as egregious for you as it is for everybody else. And that betrayal has to happen. Essentially what Brian Flores is doing is betraying that, that trust that we have in, in, in white supremacy. Essentially what Randy and Keith are doing are betraying that by creating systems outside of these systems, you know, and I think that that's one of the ways that these things are able to um, not necessarily alleviate, but to be able to be questioned and critiqued in a different way. Why are we having, you know, um, folks like Randy and like Keith and like you too, Jonathan, that are creating these systems outside of systems? Why is it necessary? You know what I mean? It's not necessary for no reason. It's necessary because the inequity is exist. It exists. It's persistent. You know what I mean? It doesn't let up. It's on your back. It's on your neck. And until we all start to start to, you know, my word is betray that, you know what I mean? We, we, we won't be able to, to see ourselves out of it. And from an, from a, an allyship or accomplice or what have you, a co-conspirator, however you want to define that, I think that that comes in an educational space 
by seeing these things happening and questioning why you are there. And if you're there alone, why is that? And that oftentimes doesn't happen. It specifically much, very much doesn't happen with white women inside of like educational spaces of questioning why they are the only. It doesn't happen with white with white men. But if I'm there and I'm a black man and I'm in a school, I'm immediately questioned why I'm the only one here. If a black woman is in a, in a squat, they're immediately questioning why am I the only one there? Because it's important, it's valuable. And me questioning that is the first start of it. Because now that I'm questioning, I have to do something to be able to be actively working against it. So I think that that's, that's one of the ways like practically for us to see our way, see our way through it. I think for me, I got a good seven, hopefully more years of working. Um, and so I try not Hopefully to less, brother. We trying to retire. I know. I, I know. I told you, forty five, bro. I'm trying to be a snowbird at forty five, like legit. Uh, work Let's offshore. Go. Just make sure there's so, an extra room so we come down to visit. Yeah, you ain't said nothing but a word. Uh, and so I try not to think about things that probably won't happen in my lifetime. And so that's one of those questions that won't happen in my lifetime. So I try not to put too much energy into it. Um, but here, here's what I will say. Uh, I say that because I, I, I don't know if it's ever the system ever since the board of Brown versus Ed was set up to, uh, to, to, you know, especially for black educators to uh, uh, insert fancy word here. Uh, but it was that's what it was meant to do. And so I don't I, I can't wrap my head around unless you create a new system and structure, how do you right the wrongs? With that being said, we have real brothers and real seats with real hopes and real dreams. And so one of the, one of the goals that we try, and real kids, right, real families, um, one of the things that we try to do at the fellowship is to, you know, our goal, our mission is to increase the number of Black and Latino males in senior and C-level positions. And, and, and from my perspective, one of the things is we want to flood the pipeline um, Randy, I think you're taking a unique approach um, to, to educators out of college. We try to, well, we want to flood the pipeline with those teachers who are sort of trying to figure out what am I going to do after year three or four, um, but make sure they're highly qualified and highly skilled because oftentimes they're the ones who are least developed. Once they get into the roles, they get in because they're good and then they're not developed. Um, and then we want to, those are in the seats, we want to retain them and make sure they can accelerate. And I think, you know, there are a lot of systems that are led by people of color. And I think, you know, this idea of for one things I'm banking on is that, you know, we have to take care of our own and grow our own. Um, and then the last thing is that schools are heavily funded by, by kids of color. And so we need to find a way to bring those, you know, it's our, it's our right to the dollars. And oftentimes, I don't know, Dennis and Randy, if you're facing, it's like you have to beg and ask and like be told, what, are you kidding me? It's, it's my right to that for these men um, and give them their uh, funding is theirs. Yeah, and to that point, I was a fundraiser for 16 years. So I've been, <laughs> I'm begging for money. I don't know how you likely. did it. I, I See, don't either. And, and, then, and then you just depend on brothers like Randy and Dennis um, just to, cause there's too much, it's, it's too much. Like my kids say, it's just, that's too much work. <laughs> Um, you, you brought something, uh, Keith there that, uh, I don't know, made me want to share a story, be a little vulnerable because we've been talking about how do we get more brothers into the profession and for good reason. Uh, and I think we've, we've touched a little bit on it, but we haven't gone into just, uh, in, in great depth of how, 
how well the system works to push them out. So Keith and Dennis and Randy will do all the work they can to get brothers in. And this system that Keith is talking about since Brown versus the Board of Education has been working to get us out. It worked immediately when they did integration on um, black kids' backs and displaced how many hundreds and thousands of black principals and black teachers that were working in schools, right? That's the thing. I think people have this idea that black kids went to these horrible schools and we saved them by bringing them to, to white schools. No, they went to under-resourced schools, but those were schools where educators looked like me and came from my neighborhood and knew my parents and provided a level of support, right? We just got kicked all those folks out. So we can bring brothers in, but then the system pushes out. That's what happened with me. I founded a high school for a charter network that was majority black and brown kids, um, loved the job. Um, and the long story short is I was pushed out because we were in a rented space, a hand-me-down space. My kids didn't have uh, a, a real lab. We bought you know big science tables to be in a regular room. We had to get a, a chemical shower installed because it was it was an elementary space that we were converting for high school kids. Um, and and the, and and my boss came to me and said, "We you know things fell through. We didn't get the permanent space. We were trying to buy keep everybody calm. So I did what I was supposed to do. The culture guy kept everybody calm. No big deal. Then he came to a meeting." I'm a staff meeting and berated my staff and said, you know, we just announced that we don't have a permanent home for y'all. And I didn't hear one thing from staff. I didn't hear one thing for any of y'all. I didn't hear anything from no family. I didn't hear anything from kids. And he's saying this in front of me. And I'm just like, you told me to do this. So kids got upset. We went and talked to the kids. Kids said they wanted to go talk to the board. So the long story short is kids raised money. They, they had a fundraiser. They gave me the cash. I rented a bus, right? Because I couldn't use bu budget money, but I, they, they raised the money. They wanted to go. To, they have a right, like Keith said, it's their money that pays for the school. They have a right to be at the board meeting. And they went and talked to the board about it. And I showed up with my kids and I said, you know, this is your first class and you treat them third class. They've been here in this rented building and they're coming in the back door of their building and you haven't held up your end of the bargain. And later that year in the summer, when my kids went home for the summer, they, they let me go. Well, actually, they, what they did was they falsified a report on me saying that I didn't, you know, my, my evaluation, that I wasn't a successful principal. I didn't engage my community. I didn't have a bar for rigor. And so then I had to get a lawyer and go off quietly in the summer when none of my kids were there. And then when they got back, they had a, a principal who was not black, who was white and didn't have a, a license. And then the, the next principal after that um, had gotten run out of their, their prior role because they were falsifying graduation, the documentation to get black kids to graduate that didn't have credit. And my point in sharing this is, and I've never shared this on that, this show, but I went and did everything I could and tried everything I could to be a good principal. And I was okay. And I hope I, if I had had time, I would have been maybe one day great. But I got run out by dark of night in the midst of all this language about how we need black men, we need black men in buildings. And they do this stuff, the same thing they do to me, they do it to people all the time. They do it to brothers all the time, they run us out. And I don't know how we disrupt that part, right? Like just the way they ran Brian Flores out. The whole story there was, he was winning on the field, but he was hard to deal with. He wouldn't tamper. He wouldn't meet with uh, uh, someone under contract somewhere else. So he got, he got replaced. And that's the issue. It seems like they'll run us brothers out until they find the brother that'll cooperate, until they find the black face that will perpetuate a system. How do we disrupt that? And, and maybe we can, maybe we need our own stuff, but it just seems like just recruiting isn't going to be enough. 
if was if we're recruiting and they're burning us out as fast as we get them in, that's a cycle we can't win. First of all, like your uh, what you just shared or whatever, as far as like your your journey through being a principal is is not uncommon. You know what I mean? In any way or whatever, I think there's I know more people who are especially working in in DEI, racial equity, all the other things who have been fired from roles just because for, for different reasons, you know what I mean? Myself included, you know what I mean? Because of um, doing work and then making a, a stink. And then once you do that or whatever, like that, it's time to find a way for you to go. And I think that a part of me thinks that there has to be some level of like coalition, like around these, around these things, because when Keith brought up the funding portion, that's a hugely important part is the reason why like in Invest Black, why I do the Black and Empty Fund is because you want to be able to figure out what are the ways we can be able to, to fund ourselves? What are the ways we can be able to advocate for things that model the needs as we define, not as what research or policy think tanks or whatever else or whatever is saying that we need? How do we define ourselves for ourselves? You know what I mean? And that's the, um, that's the real goal. And I think that there has to be some coalition around that too, because you're not the only principal that's dealt with that. You know what I mean? You're not the only professional that's done with that, dealt with that. You're not the only Black person or Black man that's dealt with that. So now what do we do to be able to, to take that energy and put it in a way that, that you know, um, now has to make sure that the allocation of funding goes in different ways and goes to different places? Like if these systems don't support us, you have to start creating new things. And I think we see a lot of that. Again, I, I'll point back to Randy and to to Keith and to you, like, this is the reason why, I mean, different circumstances, I'm sure, but these are the reason why these things are created is because we have to, um, we feel the necessity of them. I feel like I can sit here with y'all in this uh, imaginary barbershop. I got dreadlocks, I ain't getting no cut, but I can sit here with y'all all night and uh, I, I wouldn't, um, I wouldn't tire. Cause this is, this is dope. Y'all are educating me. This is fresh. Yeah, I'll get a lineup. That's for sure. <laughs> um, I want to, Doc, I want you to give us a, um, a social media in a second because I'm going to uh, invite these brothers in for the final thoughts, closing thoughts. Just like we've run up and down this metaphor. And um, I hope that, you know, if you're listening, that uh, you've gotten as much from it as I have. I, like I said earlier, I've been through every article about this. I've looked at it every way. I just saw so many uh, parallels. Um so many symbolic connections. I was like, we have to do this. Uh, and I, and I'm so grateful to you all again, Keith, Randy, Dennis, for doing it, doc, for being here to get this uh, up and running. And so I want to invite you all in in a second. to just share your closing thoughts. It can be anything, you know, your final call to action, you, you, you know, a note of hope, you know, whatever it is you want to leave us with. Um, and so we're going to give you like 30 seconds to think of that. Um, uh, while doc gets everyone uh, back engaged with us on social media. Yeah, if you're like me, you, you've found pieces of paper and post-it notes and have written a million brilliant quotes that, that started with, uh, uh, if you want to change the system, you got to change the ecosystem, and it's just gone from there, right? So, so uh, you're always welcome to, to, to join us and to keep, keep your notes. You can also check out our blog posts uh, at theboardofed.com. That's the B-O-R-E-D uh, of ed.com. You can also learn more about our board members, uh, Dennis, Randy, and Keith. Uh, who've been sharing with us this whole time. Uh, if you want to join us in uh, engaging conversation on social media, we are on Twitter and Instagram at the underscore Board of Ed, and we're on Facebook, the Board of Ed. Uh, we're sending it now to y'all. 
the the new new cuts everybody's <laughs> freshly lined up at the barbershop uh let's hear your final thoughts we'll start with uh we'll start with randy oh i thought we were gonna start with brother keith here <laughs> oh. you got it you got it bro i already got my cut i i, I uh, went and got a lineup yesterday i came back today just for uh, you know a little snip snip says the guy who started the episode in a hat i just want to call that <laughs> out like you're fighting it <laughs> Man, I'm gonna drop my hat for my final thoughts, man. Since you are messing with me, I'm gonna put it on like uh, you know that New York. You know, it's kind of like the urban. I'm trying to get the urban. You know, when you look at the movies, mm-hmm. they got the urban look. Randy, go ahead and take us out while while I'm trying to get my. <laughs> well, you got to say you gotta get the right angle. It's gotta be. The yeah, style. yeah. Too bad this is uh, all audio, not a video. Visually, y'all understand and appreciate. Go ahead, man. Maybe we can put a picture on the website. Um, um, man, there's a there. There are definitely a lot of thoughts. I would say that, particularly for just as a as a kind of a uh, a running theme between both what we've seen in the NFL, which you know, I'll be honest, I'm highly underqualified to talk about how NFL franchises need to be run. But on the on the 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 issue of balance with having representative leadership with those of the people that are running the ship and being served um, and in schools, I think to your point, Jonathan, you know, we can run the recruitment numbers up all day long. We can we can there's a teacher shortage that's not going away. So it's not like we're firing people. Right. If we can bring qualified candidates. But until leadership changes, they're going to be they're going to be some in what we're doing. And so, to the degree that there's to the degree that there's a job, a short term job that we can do as black men being in the system and bringing more black men into the system, it's got to be less focused on what we can do for individual children or individual franchises, and more about what we can do for the other leaders adjacent to us and so for black men entering into schools how can we impact the the white women which is the majority in serving black students better how can we impact some of our other allies um, to be better equipped with language better equipped with empathy better equipped period with tools to be the universal soldiers that they ask us to be you know how can we how can we replicate that and then similarly i think bringing more black eventually there needs to be a black owner in the NFL. I don't know who that's going to be, but eventually we need to see that so that there's actual peer accountability. Um, but I think the our, our best shot at making systems level change is to get, get a conspiracy theorist, get a co-conspirator turned that can actually run the plays and run the routes because an, an, uh, they're going to keep doing what they're doing. To your point, we can bring in guys all day long, but we're going to run into the same hurdles. And this, uh, Dennis, I'm going to jump in before Dennis drops some, drops some gems on us. Um, and I, I'm going to follow that. Um, you know, during the slavery, they had abolitionists. During civil rights movements, they had, uh, you know, white preachers and um, just different, different folks. I'm trying to think, who, who is that in our time in the education system? Is it the superintendents? Is it the governor? Is it the president? 
I don't, I don't know, but, and I don't know how to, how to get those folks um, or, you know, to what degree it's happening and how to accelerate it. Again, man, I, my hope is I only have five good working years left. And so uh, I just want to take care of the people in these jobs right now and the ones who are in them. And so there, you know, we can join forces and brother Randy, brother Dennis, and, you know, I know there's a lot of other folks who are working on this issue. Um, both at the system level and on the ground level. Um, and so my, my, my biggest call to action is to, especially in the great resignation area, era, uh, era is to keep our brothers um, sane, wholeness, taking care of themselves. We offer free therapy um, for our guys. Um, and so whatever we can do to take care of these folks um, right now um, so that they can take care of others because shoot game over if they're not, in, you know, if they're not on the sidelines, so to speak, game over. It doesn't matter all the systems and all that game's over. And so uh, we want to make sure our guys keep coming back, but not just keep coming back, man. They're able to thrive um, in the midst of, 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 uh, of chaos. Uh, I think the, the last closing thought is just that I think this is a, a moment for coalition. My grandma used to say a quote, she would say, the devil ain't got no new tricks. And like the reality is, is that none of this stuff is really new. It's just re is reiterations of like the same thing in different industries, you know, across the board in different in different ways. This idea of you know performative, you know, political uh, uh, recruitment is not something that's germane to the NFL. It's not something that's uh, specific to education. It's happening across the board, and I think we need to really get clear about like some of the the ways that we see these things intersecting across industries too, just to be able to make a, a larger point about where the, where the opportunity for change is. And then second to that or whatever, I think we, um, sometimes I, I have a belief and it's not fully fleshed out, but it's something that, I'm, that I struggle with too on, the, on the, the road of like betraying white supremacy. I also think you have to kind of betray the, the, the need to feel like you have to work within systems. I think we've seen a lot of ways that people have done it outside of it, whether it's, you know, freedom schools, you know what I mean? Ella Banker, Fannie Lou Hamer, you know what I mean? There's been people who have consistently created new opportunities, have created spaces where they felt safe, like what Keith was mentioning, that felt like they were healthy, that felt like they were, they were whole, and they've oftentimes been interrupted, you know, by, 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 white, by whiteness, by white supremacy, and by like some of these cultures that really don't fit into who we are naturally. And then the last thing is, I just think that there's, and this is an excellent opportunity for us to really be able to start thinking about not only the need for more like uh, teachers in spaces or more, you know, black men to be able to be in, in, in education. I think it's a, a better time to really think about why are, there, why are there so many white people in these leadership roles? And I don't say that as a tokenism thing. I say like to really start analyzing what's the benefit of having white people in leadership roles, whether that's leadership in the classroom, grade level chairs, principals, CEOs of, you know, networks and things or superintendents, what's the benefit of that? And I think once we start feeling, we start figuring that out and start really being honest about that, we can then start atoning for it. So. Hmm. Yeah, brothers are dope. Thank you so much for being here. I want to dedicate this episode to all of the onlys, every teacher who's ever been the only, only black only Latinx, only indigenous, only LGBTQ teacher in your building. You had to show up for kids who look like you or showed up the way you did and speak to them in ways that nobody else in the building could. We appreciate you so much. 
and 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 want to show you send you love and good energy and also want to call in uh, to the points that y'all been dropping i want to call in our um aspiring white co-conspirator educators right they were freedom to key's point they were freedom riders who were willing to break all sorts of laws to bring attention to the wrongs happening during the civil rights movement we need freedom teachers who are willing to say i may not be insert blank but i'll be damned if i'm not going to teach these kids what they need to 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 learn and, and and expose them to what they need to until that teacher gets here we need y'all to step into that and uh, we want you to keep listening as we bring in dope people like these to help educate you on that journey. Um, thank you all for tuning in. Uh, enjoy the big game. Uh, Doc, take us home. Uh, I want to thank you guys too. And I'm, I'm you know, I, I appreciate a seat at the, uh, at the uh, barbershop. Uh, we will have another episode coming up soon. Remember to visit us on social media at the underscore board of ed uh, on Instagram and Twitter. We are at the board of ed.com on the internet and Facebook. We're on the board of ed. In the meantime, between now and the big game and all the other great things you do, stay bored. Yeah. Yeah.